This is a recording of Rise Up, O Light of the Lord, an appropriate and defensible etymology for Cumora by Paul Hoskison, published in Interpreter, a journal of Latter-day Saint faith and scholarship, read by Victor Worth. Abstract. This article explores issues with past suggestions concerning the etymology of the name Cumora and suggests a slightly updated etymology, Rise Up, O Light of the Lord. It then suggests that Book of Mormon references to the Hill Cumorah appear to confirm the proposed etymology, thus becoming an apt description of the Restoration. No one should be under the illusion that scholarship in the humanities is an exact science. There are rules, to be sure, with acceptable and unacceptable methodologies, with non-sequiturs and sequiturs, with good data and bad data. Knowing that definitive answers in the humanities are often ephemeral is nowhere more important than in the attempt to provide an etymology for Book of Mormon names, including the subject of this essay, the geographic name Cumora. In fact, definitive explanations of Book of Mormon names are not plausible, partly because we do not know for sure what language lies behind Joseph Smith's translation of the plates. Until we have access to the plates and have learned how to read them, the best we can do is offer an etymology based on educated guesses. What follows is an educated guess about the name Cumora. One of the first issues to clear up is that Cumora is a geographic name and may not follow in all aspects the patterns evidenced in personal names. Nevertheless, I have assumed that Cumora would follow the same general lexical and semantic patterns I have used in preparing the majority of the etymologies of names in the Digital Book of Mormon Onomasticon. A major lesson of that Onomasticon is that most of the entries reflect ancient Hebrew patterns. Years ago, David A. Palmer and Robert F. Smith independently proposed that Cumorah means arise, O light. As these authors pointed out, the Hebrew verb kum, arise, rise up, along with the Hebrew noun or, or the feminine form ora, meaning light, flame, fire, together yield the meaning rise up, O light. This explanation of Cumora, rise up, O light, is a very tempting etymology given the significance of the hill Cumora in Latter-day Saint scripture and Restoration history, and even prefigures the, quote, glad tidings from Cumora of Doctrine and Covenants 128.20. This etymology seems especially appealing because of repeated allusions to light in the scriptures, the most compelling example being Isaiah 61. Quote, arise, Shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Goes quote. The presence alone of light, shine, and arise together in one verse in Isaiah 60 should be enough to convince anyone of the appropriateness of the suggestion from Palmer and Smith. In support of the suggested etymology, Rise Up, O Light, the Book of Mormon itself might be hinting about its relationship with the Hill Cumorah. In Mormon 8, 14-16, Moroni, the last contributor to the abridged record of his people, clearly declares to the reader that he is the one who will hide, quote, up this record unto the Lord, close quote. Moroni further declares that, quote, whoso shall bring the Book of Mormon to light, close quote, from the darkness where he would bury it, quote, him will the Lord bless, for none can have power to bring the Book of Mormon to light from where it was buried, Save it be given him of God, and blessed be he that shall bring the Book of Mormon to light. 
for it shall be brought out of darkness unto light, according to the word of God. Yea, it shall be brought out of the earth, and it shall shine forth out of, close quote, the darkness where it had been buried. In fact, Moroni is the resurrected being who would guide Joseph Smith to the location where Joseph would find the record that would, quote, shine forth out of darkness, close quote, and would initiate the restoration that is destined to enlighten the whole earth. Yet, over the years, I have resisted this attractive and beautiful derivation because of a technical issue with the grammar, namely, subject-verb disagreement. As understood by the authors of previous explanations, including my own previous analysis, the ending ora on kumora appears to correspond with the Hebrew feminine word for light, ora. As a Hebrew feminine noun, ora would require a Hebrew feminine verb form. If the first part of kumora, kum, corresponds with the Hebrew verb kum, q-u-m, which means rise up, it would require the feminine imperative verb form kumi, which properly can be represented in English as c-u-m-i, kumi. This is the precise transliterated form that the Aramaic cognate of Hebrew kum takes in the King James transliteration of Mark 5.41, Talitha Kumi, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. Notice the vocative nature of this cognate Aramaic verb. Thus, the feminine imperative with a feminine noun would yield kumiora. This reading could be construed as a possible source of kumora if various rules of Hebrew syntax are brushed aside. For instance, in the Hebrew feminine imperative kumi, the final long I vowel would not disappear for one main reason. It is phonemic and therefore necessary to indicate the feminine imperative. In other words, kumiora is philologically difficult, if not impossible, to reconcile with kumora. Likewise, the received form kumora is not congruent with the masculine forms either. The masculine imperative from Hebrew kum would, in an English transcription, conveniently become kum, c-u-m. The masculine form of Hebrew or, light, would become or, o-r, in English transcription. The two English transcriptions of the masculine forms together would yield kumor, without the final a, a-h, of the received text. In other words, without doing speculative phonetic gymnastics, neither the masculine forms alone nor the feminine forms would account for the received English form kumora. Therefore, as attractive as this suggested etymology might be, rise up, O light, has not been championed in the original Book of Mormon digital onomasticon, but mentioned only as an attractive but questionable etymology. Nevertheless, Lately I have come to believe that the suggestion, rise up, O light, with a technical tweak and additional words, can and should be embraced as the most likely etymology. In order to justify setting aside the seeming subject-verb disagreement, I need to explain a relatively little-known feature of Hebrew names, hypochorism. Because hypochorism is not exactly a household word, I will give a brief explanation using English examples and then move on to Hebrew instances. While my initial explanation of hypochorism that follows is necessarily quite technical, 
a plain language summary follows after the initial discussion of hypocoristica. Various forms of diminutives, pet names, nicknames, shortened names, caritatives, etc., come under the hypochorism umbrella. For example, an ordinary dog can become a cute little diminutive and beloved caritative dog by adding a long I vowel, doggy, or even doggy with a Y. Native English speakers have no problem recognizing what the addition of a long I vowel does and can apply it to other names and nouns almost indiscriminately. But not all hypochorisms in English result from just adding a long I vowel. A different hypocristic form of the personal name Susan can be produced by truncating Susan to become Sue. Alternatively, replacing the A-N of Susan with the long I vowel turns Susan into the hypocristicon Susie. Thus, both Susie and Sue are hypocoristica of Susan. Hebrew can also create hypocoristic names, but in different ways than English. The two most common ways in Hebrew are to shorten the name by eliding one or more elements of the name and or replacing an element of the name with a shorter element. To illustrate this process in Hebrew, I will use an integral part of the etymology of Gomorrah proposed in this paper, namely, the Hebrew noun for light, or. Psalm 27.1 reads in Hebrew, Yahweh Ori, Jehovah is my light rendered into English by the King James Bible translators as The Lord is my light. Because most biblical personal names are theophoric, meaning they contain the name or a title of deity, a case can be made that the personal name Urijah, Uriah, in 2 Kings 16.10 and in 2 Samuel 11.3, was inspired by the declaration of the theological belief that Jehovah is my light. In the Hebrew nominal sentence name Uriah, Jehovah is represented by the Yah, and is the theophoric element, meaning it represents deity. While light is the predicate complement, thus yielding the meaning Jehovah is my light. The Hebrew Bible contains other variations on the name, including Uriel, God is my light, in 1 Chronicles 15.11, albeit with a different theophoric element, and the plenae form of Uriahu in Jeremiah 26.20, though the King James rendering somewhat disguises the plenae spelling of the Hebrew form with the transcription Urijah. In other words, the theological concept that Jehovah is my light takes various forms in Hebrew personal names. However, of importance for the discussion here is another variant on Or, though not without some controversy, According to some scholars, an even shorter version of Uriah appears in several places in the Old Testament, namely Uri, from Hebrew Uri. The name could mean my light. For most scholars, there would be no question about the meaning if Martin Noth, the great 20th century German Semiticist, had not listed Uri among the hypocoristica short names, with suffixed I in his magisterial work on Hebrew personal names published nearly a hundred years ago. That is, the name Uri, rather than mean my light, is a shortened version, hypocoristicon, of Uriahu, Uriah, or Uriel. Note that, as is often the case with many hypocoristica, 
the hypochorism does not indicate the precise theophoric element that it displaces in the syntax of the name. Though by no means pervasive, hypochoristic names were fairly common in the biblical period. Noth devoted over four pages to short names, Kurznamen, as he called them, and enumerates seven different hypochoristic affixes connected to these often shortened Semitic names, turning them into hypochoristica. The contemporary Israeli scholar Shmuel Achituv, in discussing Hebrew and cognate language names in the biblical period, designates by my count 61 names as hypochoristic among the 318 names in the corpus he studied. If this ratio is indicative of biblical period West Semitic names, it means that almost 20% of these names are hypochoristic. The most common affixed hypochoristic element, by my count, in Noth, was the long vowel I, represented by the Hebrew letter Yod, as in Uri, mentioned above, followed by the long vowel A, which can be represented in Hebrew by either He or Aleph. As examples of He and Aleph alternating as hypochoristic elements, Noth cites Bet Aleph Resh Aleph versus Bet Aleph Resh He. Ein sein resh aleph versus ein sein resh he. And shim mem ein aleph versus shim mem ein he. Some of the variation between the Hebrew hypochoristic endings he and aleph can be confusing because some Hebrew hypochoristica end in an aleph but are represented by ah in the King James translation. For example, Uzzah in 2 Samuel 6.1 is the King James reflection of the Hebrew Ein Zain Aleph. This personal name Uzzah is then, by the way, another example of a Hebrew hypochoristicon. After this slight diversion to explain hypochorism, I can turn to why, with this additional understanding, I change my mind about Rise Up, O Light being the most preferable etymology. While browsing for a different topic, I serendipitously came across an Ammonite personal name that pulled me up short and demanded that I reconsider a Light. The Ammonite name in question, Aleph Vav Resh Aleph, a cognate of Hebrew or, discussed above, without affix, no doubt means light. With affix, it was probably pronounced Ora, or perhaps Ura, and more importantly, it pointed me in the direction of Hypochoristica. The name appears around the time of Lehi on an Ammonite stamp seal. Because the A-H on the end of the geographic name Cumorah is most likely a suffix, most previous explanations, including my own, assumed that the A-H was, as mentioned above, the English transcription of the common Hebrew feminine suffix A-H, also transcribed into English as A, following the Journal of Biblical Literature guidelines. Indeed, accepting the A-H as a feminine noun marker was integral to Palmer's and Smith's explanation and was the main reason that I was leery of their proposal. However, as I realized from the Ammonite personal name, the suffix transcribed as A need not be seen as the transcription of a feminine noun ending. Indeed, the pervasive form of the feminine ending is He, with a long A vowel, but the Ammonite name ends in an Aleph and not a He. 
It was that hypercharistic aleph that allowed me to see that a long A vowel, such as the A-H ending on Kumora, can be a hypocharistic element and not always a feminine noun marker. A further quick search revealed that both an aleph and a he can function as hypocharistic elements, often with a vocative aspect. Thus, the aleph and the he on the end of the names mentioned above and the aleph on the name of the Ammonite personal name, Ora, can represent a hypocharistic element. When a hypocharistic element appears in a name in the position where a theophoric element normally would be, the hypocharistic element is said to represent a shortened version of the theophoric element. It is not that the hypocharistic element is per se theophoric, but the element can be said to be a theophoric hypocharisticon if the creation of the hypocharisticon involves eliding or replacing a theophoric element. Thus, if Ammonite Ora, Ura, is a shortened version of a name morphologically similar to Hebrew Uriahu, or any other theophoric element, then the Aleph on the end of the personal name can be thought of as a theophoric hypocharistic ending, representing an alighted Ammonite deity analogous to Hebrew Uriel, God is light. When a theophoric element in a name has been replaced by a hypocharistic element, the deity's name that was replaced by the hypocharisticon cannot be readily identified. For example, the feminine personal name in 1 Samuel 1-2, through 2, Hannah, Hannah, is, according to Martin Noth, most likely a hypocharistic name. Yet, the hypocharistic ending on Hannah, the A-H, does not reveal which theophoric element it represents. When comparing other names containing the Hebrew lexeme Chen, the name Haniel in Numbers 34.23 comes to mind. The suggestion that Hannah is a shortened form of Haniel, God is grace, is not readily apparent in English. The shortening becomes apparent only when viewing the Hebrew originals, Chana versus the supposed longer form Chaniel. In some instances, when a hypocharisticon occupies the position normally taken by the theophoric element, the document may provide a link or hint to the identity of the alighted deity. For example, biblical names in Israelite context would suggest an Israelite deity. With names in the Book of Mormon, however, we are not blessed with a plethora of information. We cannot rely on the geographic origin of the text or the perceived language in which the text was composed. As is the case with nearly all Book of Mormon names, we must rely on educated guesses based primarily on the assumption that Hebrew language and Israelite culture, with an admixture of Egyptian influence, pervade the Nephite record. In the case at hand, with Cumorah, which is attested in a Nephite language text and arguably in a Nephite geographic area, the most likely alighted theophoric element would no doubt have been a form of one of the many Hebrew designations for deity, e.g. El, Jehovah, Yahweh, Elohim, Most High God, Mighty One, etc. In the Hebrew Bible, light is paired with both Jehovah and El, as seen above. But given that we do not know which theophoric elements were employed in the Nephite Onomasticon, as a nod to a somewhat ambiguous situation, Jehovah or El, I offer a generic King James Bible English theophoric designation that English speakers will have no problem recognizing, namely, the Lord.
Therefore, given my explanation that the AH on Kimura is not a feminine ending, but most likely a hypochoristic ending with a vocative aspect, I can now concur with Palmer and Smith that the Book of Mormon geographic name Kumora, with my slight addition to their etymology, may be interpreted as Rise Up, O Light of the Lord. Note that Kumora would not be the only hypochoristicon in the Book of Mormon, as explained in the entry for Alma in the online Book of Mormon Automasticon. This common Book of Mormon name is composed of the lexeme Ein Lamed Mem, Hero, Young Man plus the hypochoristic ending Aleph, or He, in the normal place of a theophoric element, yielding the meaning of young man of God. In fact, to illustrate the variability of hypochoristic affixes, the late Hebrew-attested personal name Alma, Ein Lamed Mem, appears twice in a Hebrew Bar Kokhba letter, once with the suffix Aleph, Ein Lamed Mem Aleph, and once in the same document with a suffixed hey, ein lamed mem hey. As mentioned at the beginning of this article, though geographic names should follow the semantic and lexical norms for the assumed language of the Vorlage, geographical names do not need to follow with exactness the naming conventions of personal names. Nevertheless, an early anonymous reviewer raised the question of whether there are examples of precative forms among Hebrew names. Though the question may be moot with regard to the geographic name Kimura, I have nevertheless chosen to provide examples of Semitic personal names with precative forms. In Hebrew and other Semitic languages, the precative forms range from first-person, cohortative forms, to second-person, imperative forms, through second- and third-person, justive forms. For example, Genesis 1-3, Let There Be Light is the King James translation of a Hebrew third-person Joseph, Yehi Or, Be Light. The biblical name Reuben in Genesis 29.32, which can be interpreted as Look, a son, is perhaps the most recognized Hebrew personal name that is a Joseph imperative. But there are other examples of Josephs and imperatives in Semitic names. Achituv, in his discussion of biblical period Hebrew and cognate language names, lists six names that contain a jussive or an imperative. Yehawali, let the high, the God, live. Kamoshiat, may Kamosh come. Pegakos, plead with Kos. Kolayah, trust or hope in Yahweh. Shubel, return, O God. Shabanyahu, Return, O Yahweh, and possibly a seventh with particular importance for my discussion of Kumora, Karab Or, Come Near, O Light, or Light Has Come Near. Though not readily apparent in English-language texts, perhaps the best-known Semitic name containing an imperative is the East Semitic name Nebuchadnezzar. The transcription of the Babylonian form of his name, Nabu-Kuduri-Utzer, the god Nabu, protect the air, contains the imperative form Utsur from the Babylonian verb Natsuru, to watch over, protect, preserve. Thus, precative personal names are not unknown in the Semitic onomasticon. One last word about geographic names. While the name Kumora in the Book of Mormon at times also applied to the territory and land around the hill Kumora, 
Mormon 6, 2-6. The name Cumorah itself may be referring more to the record buried there than to any geographic feature of the hill. Instructive in this regard is the story in Judges 15, 9-17. This incident involves a geographic location that the King James translation renders as Lehi in verse 9. However, as verses 16 and 17 make clear, the location received its name after the battle in which Samson slew a thousand men with the jawbone, Lehi, of an ass from the Hebrew Lachi Hamor. Additionally, no doubt the Mount of Transfiguration in the New Testament was called by that name only after the Transfiguration took place. Is it then not possible that Cumorah received its name proleptically in anticipation of the fulfillment of prophetic foresight, as quoted above from Mormon 8, 14-16, of what would take place there? Leaving aside the implications of the two Cumorah theory, the territory and land in upstate New York surrounding that hill certainly qualify as the geographic territory where the light of the Lord would arise and shine forth in the restoration. What more meaningful and significant name for that hill or area could there be than Rise Up, O Light of the Lord? Paul Y. Hoskison, Emeritus Professor of Religious Education at BYU, received his Ph.D. from Brandeis University in Ancient Near East Languages and History. In addition to teaching in religious education at Brigham Young University beginning in 1981, he served as institutional representative on the Board of Trustees of the American Schools of Oriental Research, director of the Laura F. Wiles Center for Book of Mormon Studies, Richard L. Evans Professor of Religious Understanding, Associate Dean of Religious Education at BYU, Coordinator of Near Eastern Studies at BYU, and Epigrapher for the 1983 ASOR excavation at Karkur, Syria. Prior to coming to BYU, he taught ancient Near East languages at the Universitat Zurich. This has been a recording of Rise Up, O Light of the Lord, an appropriate and defensible etymology for Cumorah by Paul Hoskison, published in Interpreter, a journal of Latter-day Saint Faith and Scholarship, Volume 60, 2024, read by Victor Worth. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged, the journal and its website are credited, and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles on Latter-day Saint scripture can be found at journal.interpreterfoundation.org. More information about the Interpreter Foundation, along with a wide array of additional resources, can be found at interpreterfoundation.org.